Hey there, and welcome to the podcast of Real Life Spokane. We are so happy you are joining us today. We exist to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. And you can help us do that by liking, sharing, or subscribing to this podcast. Let's jump in. God, you are good. God, you love to show your people um, what you have for them. You love to show your people how much you love them and what you want them to do, God. And so we want this to be a place where you are welcome. Holy Spirit, we want you to move as we sang about that this atmosphere would be changed, that our hearts would be changed as a result of being with you. God, so I ask that you would move powerfully. God, would you give me clarity as I communicate? Would you only allow me to say, what you want to say this morning. And would you give us all soft hearts, God, that are ready and responsive and ready to be formed by who you say we are. We're believing you for this, God. We're believing you for a miracle this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start off with a question this morning, something that I've been faced with uh, this past week. How do you feel or how do you respond when the way that you have gotten used to doing things or thinking about things is suddenly challenged. See, one thing that uh, I've learned and we've all learned is that just because I've always done it that way doesn't make it right. We all get faced with this. See, at the St. Clair house where where I'm I'm a member of, uh, my wife and I kind of have it worked out to where there's certain things that she takes care of, certain things that I take care of. And as long as the things are getting done and the family's taken care of, we don't really ask questions as to why did you do it that way? Why didn't you do it this way? What were you thinking? Um, You should have done it my way. All these different things. We don't really ask any questions as long as everything is getting taken care of. Um, She's got the things that she says, I'll do this. I've got the things say, I'll do this. But every once in a while, our schedules kind of collide and we kind of have to fill in. And so we look outside, we see, you know, the sun coming up, grass is starting to turn green. Spring is coming. Hallelujah. We're so thankful that spring is coming. Another snow is not coming. Like the person who cut my hair yesterday, I'm like, you can't say things like that. Another snow is not coming. Like spring is here. In fact, some of you may have acted in faith, actually got out your lawnmowers, turned on your splinters this weekend. You're getting ready. But one of the things that we do each year is we have our yard serviced by people who come and fertilize it every year. And so that is one of the things that is usually my responsibility. Usually I make sure that it's scheduled, the gate is open, they can get to everything they need to. But this past week, life got really full as it tends to. And uh, I realized they're coming. Um, The gate is not unlocked. So they're gonna come and not be able to get in. And I have one of the keys in my pocket. So that's not gonna be very helpful. And the other key is at home. And so I call my wife and say, hey, I know I usually take care of this but could you, could you please you know, help me out here? They're coming, the gate's not open. There is one key at the house. So could I, could I please explain to you where this key is at? So before she never really cared where the key was at or how we get the key or how the gate even opens or even that we have a gate. She just knows that the, the yard gets fertilized, the grass is green. That is her number one thing. Like the grass is green and that's, that's all great. And so, but she was about to get a snapshot into how my mind works. Um, which um, I'm not really sure if she wanted that or not. But I said, okay, here's where the key's at. Okay, just go downstairs, go over by my desk. Over by my desk is where all of our bookshelves are, where all of my books are at. I go, go to the last bookshelf on the right. Okay, now go one bookshelf to the left of that. Now, this gets good. Okay, now on top of that shelf, there's a key. 
She's like, okay, why you put the key here? I have no idea. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not the key. <laughs> get, get that key. Now go back over to my desk, okay? And, and there's a filing cabinet there. Open that up. And then there's a basket in there and there's the key. That's the key to the gate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't see her face at that point, but I, I think it went something like this. Like, why can't you be normal? You know, I don't know if it was um, too many mysteries growing up, or maybe I have a degree in computer forensics and I think everything is a puzzle to be solved. I don't know. But in the way, there's a moment that says like, okay, this is the way that you've always done it, but that doesn't mean that it's right. Now she was super gracious, helped us out. The yard is fertilized. It's going to be green. Everything is, is great. But again, how do, we, how, how do we respond when the way that we're just so used to doing things gets challenged? See, the world also has a way of doing things. If you haven't noticed, the world around us has a list of things that you can say, things that you can't say, things that you can do, things that you can't do. And whenever you choose to question it or ask questions about it, or just kind of reject the way that the world wants you to go, the world's way of doing things, what happens? Okay, this is where we get this idea that we've recently become familiar of, and that is cancel culture. Okay, the world says that if you say anything against what, what, our agenda is or what we want to accomplish, we will silence you. You do not get to, to be a part of what's going on. And again, this is not a recent thing. It's come up recently for us, but this is something that's happened for years and years and years. See, if you've been with us from the beginning, we're currently wrapping up a series. Uh, Richie's going to wrap it up next week, actually, but we're wrapping up a series on how Jesus's church has endured. And as we've done that, we've tried to give some snapshots or some examples from people or groups of people throughout history that have experienced, ironically, uh, similar things that we're experiencing today. To look to them, to learn how they have endured so that we can then in turn make adjustments and learn how we can continue to endure as Jesus's church. And so uh, if you're a history major, you're gonna be disappointed because we're gonna jump forward about a thousand years from where we were last week. But um, how many history majors are here? Awesome, we're, we're good. So we're gonna jump forward into a time of history about a thousand years later from where we were. And we're gonna be introduced to a group of people called the Anabaptists. Okay, I grew up in a Baptist church. And so when I hear that, that's where I go. That's not where we're going. Anabaptist is not the Baptist church. Anabaptist is a group of people that were extremely dedicated and devoted to taking what Jesus had said and putting it into practice. See, oddly enough, in this time in history, the church had, had become more known for its traditions. It was kind of a veil for actual disciples of Jesus. You think about a veil when it's over somebody's face, you know that someone or something is behind the veil, but you're not exactly sure what it is. And that's what the church had kind of become. Like there's people that are there, but I'm not sure why they're there or, or what they're doing. Because the church had become known more about what church you go to or what political affiliation you have, not necessarily about these are people who do and practice what Jesus taught. And so these Anabaptists got really kind of extreme and they were super zealous about this is what God has said. This is what we're going to do. See, the term Anabaptist isn't even what they called themselves. They actually just refer to themselves as the brethren because they wanted something that was going to be separate from just being known as the church because the church wasn't necessarily looking like Jesus. And so they called themselves the brethren. Anabaptist was a term that was given to them by the church as kind of like a, a slam on them. It was a derogatory term to help them, like help other people look down on them and really kind of punish and persecute them. 
The word Anabaptist just simply means rebaptizer. And so they were trying to create this storyline of these guys are going around and trying to do another baptism and baptize people multiple times when really their big push wasn't even heretical. It was just against tradition. See, tradition at that time said, you're a Christian if you were born in a Christian nation and if you were baptized as an infant, that's what makes you a Christian. And the Anabaptists come along and say, that's not what we're seeing in scripture. So like, we're gonna talk to people as they're adults and see like, are they actually following Jesus? Once they decided to follow Jesus and give their life to him, then we're gonna baptize them. So they weren't re-baptizing, like the first one you know, didn't, didn't work and we've got to do another one, but it was more clarity of this. And they paid a dear price for this. If you ever have some time, look up Anabaptists, do a Google search and you're going to find some of the horrific ways that they were treated for standing up against this tradition. Again, it wasn't heresy. They were simply just trying to do what Jesus said. If you think about this, this is really strange. We would expect that the way of Jesus would look different from the way of the world, good and evil, truth and lies, but it's really, really strange for people who are following Jesus or who are trying to follow Jesus to be persecuted and punished by other people who are calling themselves Christians. But that's exactly what was happening. See, this was a time where scripture was becoming more common knowledge. Before only the priest could tell you what the word said, but now people are able to go there for themselves. Um, Real sermons are starting to be taught. This is what the Bible actually says. This is what Jesus is calling you to do. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. But there was pushback because it wasn't based on the tradition. See, but the problem is, is that if it, as we hear the word of God, if it just stays in our head, if we just leave from today and say, well, that that was a good sermon maybe even agree with some of the things that are said and we just walk out. We miss the power of God in our lives. We just sang about the atmosphere is changing and a miracle can happen. But if we don't obey what God is asking us to do, we'll miss that miracle. We won't experience that power. Real power comes as Jesus speaks and we as his followers act in obedience. And so that's the invitation today. And that's what we're gonna be looking at Uh, what Jesus says about that. So if you've got your Bible, Matthew chapter seven, we're gonna be in verses 21 through 27. And so Jesus is, is teaching here and he says, he starts off, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. See, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name? And and didn't we perform many miracles in your name? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, if there's a list of top 10 things I never wanna hear God say, that's up there. He says, depart from me, I never knew you. So what Jesus is saying is just knowing his name just knowing about him, just saying his name. That doesn't equal the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't mean knowing about him or knowing his name doesn't mean knowing him. And then he goes back to the other people who said, look at all the stuff that we did. So just doing the stuff that, you know, the church of the synagogue down the street is doing, just doing what they do or doing what everyone else does and even doing it in my name, saying that I told you to do it. If I didn't tell you to do it, that, that doesn't mean you know me. 
And if you don't know me, then my response is to depart from me. I don't know you. And so that's his, his sobering response. And he goes on, he continues in verse 24, he tells a story. Jesus tells a lot of parables, which is just another word for story about what he's talking about to help them understand. So he tells a story, he says, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. So Jesus gives us two pictures here to help understand what he's talking about. The difference between using his name and actually knowing him. The first one he says is a man who's known as wise. He built his house on the rock. That is the man who hears the words of Jesus and puts them into practice. Think about building on rock. If you've ever tried to do anything on rock, it's, it's harder. It takes more time. And maybe you kind of feel kind of out there because everyone else is building on different things and they're wondering why you're building on rock. But Jesus says, don't get carried away in that thinking. Here's what I want you to realize is that when the storms come, when the trials come, when life starts falling apart, that house will last because of its foundation. You've built it, you've taken the time to build it well that it won't be shaken. So that's the first picture he gives. The second picture he gives is, is someone, another word that we don't wanna be known as, we don't wanna be known as foolish. But he says, the person who hears the words of God and then doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man. A foolish man does this, he builds his house on the sand. Building your house on the sand or building on the sand, it's easier, it's not as hard. You can do it faster because it is easier. You know, and if you look around, you might see a lot of other people that are building on the sand too. And so you kind of feel we're doing everything that everyone's always done. We're building on the sand. And Jesus says, don't get caught up in what everyone else is doing because here's the truth of the matter. If you build on the sand, your house is gonna fall. And we're not talking about just like a few shingles coming off or a chair being blown off in a windstorm. No, the whole thing's coming down because it can't stand. There's no foundation. There's no root in sand. And so here's the really interesting thing is that in both cases, both pictures that Jesus paints, the storms come. The storms come, the wind blows, everything beats against that house. So you and I don't get to choose whether storms come. If you choose to do what Jesus says, it doesn't mean that life is gonna be easy. What it means is that when life starts happening, when life starts getting hard, when the world starts squeezing you, that whatever you have built will stand because it's planted on the right foundation. And so that's what we're going after. It is very true that it's much more convenient to build on the sand. It doesn't take as much time. It doesn't take as much work. And honestly, a lot of people throughout the years have chosen to build on the sand and still do build on the sand. But Jesus says that there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, that way leads to destruction. And so this morning, it's a word of invitation. It's not a word of condemnation. It's not a stop building your house on the sand. It's learn how to build on the rock. The invitation from Jesus is says, 
make sure that you're using wisdom when you build. Build on the rock, build on something that's going to last. And there's a lot of grace in this conversation because people have said over the years and even recently that the hardest person to lead is yourself. And so as you look about all the things that are going around, one thing that I love about how we're being made is Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's masterpiece. That's who we are. And I was reading a book this past weekend and they described it as this way. The thing about a masterpiece is that it's unique. It's handcrafted. Masterpieces are not mass produced in a factory. So each one of us in this room is uniquely and wonderfully made. Certain things make you tick that don't make the other person tick. You hear things a certain way, you see things a different way. And God is the master craftsman who desires to do work. He wants to show you where you need to grow, where you need to add some things, where you need to take some things off. And so rather than give you a list of four or five things that this is what I do and so this is what you need to do, that really wouldn't be very helpful. And so what we want to learn how to do is, is respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting. So um, ironically, we are, we are having a sermon this morning about responding to sermons. That's, that's what we're doing. How do we go from just listening to responding? And so to do that, I want to give four really kind of just principles. See, what we need to do is we need to learn how to heed. Earlier, we said we, we, need to have, um, we need to have a revival in our hearts. We need to, like the Anabaptists, come to the spot where we're willing to do whatever Jesus says. Revival just simply means a renewed attention. It's not new information. We just need to have it revitalized within us. So we need a revival. So in order to respond to sermons, we need to learn how to heed. If you're not familiar with that word, heed just means to pay attention to. So if we're gonna have a renewed attention, we need to learn how to pay attention. And so that's what we're gonna be going after today. Some, some principles that will help you to be able to do that um, using an acronym HEED, four letters, H-E-E-D, to help you be able to remember when you come into a place where God's word is being preached, how do I respond to what he's saying to me? And so the first thing we do, it's, it's the H there. If we're going to respond, if we're going to heed to God's word, we've got to come with humility. That's where it all starts. It's not about saying the right things or doing the right things. It's about having the right heart posture. That same book that I was reading said it this way, and I thought it was so good. I think we should practice it this morning. So I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to ask you to say it with me, okay? When you're coming with a heart posture of humility, you're coming to together in this room and saying, there is a God that exists, and it's not me. Okay, so as Matthew said, something happens in us when we say this out loud. So we're going to say this together, okay? There is a God that exists and it's not me. Such a simple statement, but it's so important that you stand there. You start there. Because again, where things have gotten off track is when we start following our traditions more than what God said. The thing is when I start giving center stage to my traditions, I start to get off course. So we had lots of traditions. Traditions aren't bad. We participated together in traditions this morning. We worshiped together with the right heart posture. That's true worship. That's recognizing that no matter what's going on in my life right now, God is speaking. Okay, but without the right heart posture, that becomes more about like, well, what songs are they doing and how fast are they doing? And why did they put that person up there? Because this is really kind of ruining my feeling right now. This is not why I came. 
But if there is a God that exists and it's not me, then worship is not for me. Worship is for him. Okay, or about prayer. Matthew just led us in an amazing time of prayer, a prayer moment. See, with the wrong heart posture, prayer becomes what scripture calls empty, empty phrases that we're just throwing up. We're just saying, well, I think this is what God would want me to say. This is what other Christians say, so I'll say that. But when prayer becomes a recognition of who God is and who you are, prayer becomes a very, very intimate conversation to where sometimes I don't even say anything. I wait for God to speak. And then when he asks me to speak or he says, well, you know, what do you think about that? Then I speak what's in my heart. It becomes a very, very intimate conversation. Or communion. Again, a tradition that is so good, things that have been done for so many years. The wrong heart posture turns it into just going through the motions. I can do whatever I want because I'm gonna come here on Sunday, I'm gonna take communion and then I'm gonna feel good for the next week. But that's not the purpose of it. The purpose of that tradition is to point us to Jesus for us to take a moment as we talked about it, examine our lives and remember who God is and who we are. And so we've got to start with humility. We've got to come with humility. Secondly, that, that E, that first E there is we come expecting God to speak. Okay, things might be a little bit different this morning. If as you came through the doors, one of our greeters met you and said, hey, just so you know, um, something is going to be said today that is going to change everything you know about life. It's gonna change how you parent. It's gonna change how you, you function in your marriage. It's gonna change how you work. It's gonna change um, how you are in your neighborhood. It's going to be literally life-changing. The question then is, am I prepared to receive that kind of information? We've gotta come, if God's gonna speak and we're expecting him to speak, we come ready to learn. What that means is I may, I'll bring my Bible because if God gives me a verse, I wanna be able to look it up and see what it says. I want to bring some way of recording what God is about to say to me, whether that's a pen and paper, writing things down so I can go back to it, or whether it's my phone, I'm going to take notes in there. Maybe I'm going to record it and listen to it later. Some way that I'm going to remember what I'm not going to do is just depend on my memory to say, I'll remember it, I'll remember it, and we'll talk about it later. Because the truth of the matter is that when we walk out the doors, we get bombarded by all sorts of other things. And in 15 minutes is all it's going to take. And we're gonna forget that we have been part of a miracle this morning. God spoke. The God of the universe had a message for you and me this morning. And so we wanna come expecting God to speak. We're ready to learn, acting as if what we're gonna hear from God today has the potential to change the entire direction of our life. So as we come with humility, as we expect God to speak, that second E there is we engage all of our being. Again, all of us are individual masterpieces created by and for God. So we respond different ways, but it's important that we engage with everything that we have. And there's three levels that I wanna talk about briefly. We wanna engage our, our head, our heart, and our hands. When we talk about engaging our head, you wanna make sure that you know what God has said. How can you do what he has asked if you don't even understand? Sometimes engaging with my head just means I need to stop talking so I can hear what he has to say. So engage with your head, understand what it is that God has said to you, but don't leave it there. Engage your heart. See, in biblical times, the heart was a place of emotions. It's where people felt things. And so engage with your feelings. It's gonna feel uncomfortable, especially if you've never done it before. Because one of the things that kept me from avoiding it for so long is I grew up in the church and sometimes what God said, I didn't really wanna hear. 
but I didn't feel like I could actually say to God that I don't want to hear it. And so I just went along with, well, this is probably what you want to hear from me. But God wants you. He wants to interact with all of you. And so get your heart involved in it. If it's something that makes you upset, express that. If it's something that saddens you, express that. If it's something that excites you, express that. Whatever it is, God made you an emotional being because he wants to engage with that part of you. So whatever he's speaking to, whatever that prompts within your spirit, within your emotions, express that. Engage God with your emotions. And lastly, your hands. You know, a while ago, Matthew encouraged us to to open our hands, to raise our hands. It's very, very important for our body posture to line up with what God is saying. He gave us a body. He gave us a body to worship him with. If I didn't have a body, I wouldn't have any way to actually show God how much I love him. This is the vessel that he has given me, that he has given you to show how you are responding. And so what that can mean is if, if God is speaking to you in a way that he is so worthy of praise, that's why we raise our hands. That's why you lift your hands to say, God, you are so worthy. You are so unique. There is no one like you. Or maybe he's speaking to you a word of surrender that says, you know what, you've got things so closed right now that I can't, I can't take anything from you that's hurting you. And I can't add anything that I want to bless you with. So maybe if he's giving you a message of surrender, your response is to open up your hands and say, God, I, I don't even... I don't even know like what this can mean, but whatever it is that you have from me, God, you take whatever you need to take away from me and you add whatever you want to add. Or maybe you need to stand up. Maybe you need to bow down. Again, the body is what we've been given to worship God with. And so make sure your body posture aligns with what's going on in your head and in your heart. So as we come with humility, as we expect God to speak, we engage with our whole being. There's one more principle. And that's the D as we learn to heed to God's word. And that is simply do what he has asked. That's where the power comes from. God has spoken to people for years and years and years. The only people that have experienced his power are the people who have acted on what he has said. Another biblical writer put it this way. In the book of James chapter one, Verses 22 through 25, the writer encourages us. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. See, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. Anybody look at their face in the mirror this morning when you're getting ready? Anyone who hears the words of God and does not do them is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. It appears that it's much more about you missing out on a miracle and me missing out on a miracle. He says, when you hear my voice and you don't respond, you don't know who you are. You forget. And it doesn't say you forget in a week or a month. His word says you forget immediately. So we wanna be a people that learn how to heed, to do what he has asked. See, 
over the centuries, as Jesus's people have responded to the Holy Spirit's movement in their life, they've experienced power. When we get stuck in a trap of doing churchy things or saying churchy phrases, those things don't have any power. In fact, if we continue to do them, sometimes we start to see they morph into things that actually aren't even in line with what the Bible teaches. And now we're holding on to a tradition so tightly that's not even rooted in scripture. So as we talk about responding to sermons, we're not talking about responding to traditions or what we feel. We're talking about being led by a God who wants a personal relationship with each one of us. He's asking us to break the mold. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, well, I come on Sundays just because that's I know what I'm supposed to do. And I don't really respond on Sundays. It makes me kind of uncomfortable. I just kind of am here, do my thing and go out. God says you're missing out on the miracle the work that I want to do in and through you. But you also don't know who you are or who I am because change comes through obedience. And so just as we practiced humility and having a heart posture of humility, we don't have an opportunity to practice responding. We're not just gonna talk about responding, we're actually going to respond. So I wanna ask you to, to rise to your feet as we wrap up here. And I believe that God has spoken today. Again, you're standing in a room full of masterpieces, handcrafted people who are known by the master craftsman. He knows exactly what you're going through right now. He knows exactly the things that you're wrestling with in your heart. And the reason that he wants you to express them is because he wants you to meet you in that spot. He doesn't want to leave you. But like we said, sometimes we just have to be silent for a moment and say, God, what do you want to say? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand here and we're going to allow space. We're going to say, God, if you're coming with humility, if you want God to speak and you're willing to engage all of yourself and, and do what he says, say, God, what do, you, what do you have to say to me this morning? We're going to allow him space to speak. And after he speaks, we're gonna have a time, our staff team, some of our leadership team are gonna be in front. If you've got questions, if you wanna share with God what God has shown you today, we wanna help you follow that. We're here to encourage you to follow what God has spoken today. So take a moment, quiet your heart before the Lord. Say, God, I've heard everything that you said to me today. I've heard everything that this guy up front said today. What do you say to me this morning? What change are you asking me to make in my life this morning? If that's your prayer this morning and you're not already doing so, I just want to invite you to align your body with whatever God is, is saying to you right now. Is he asking for your praise? Is he asking you to, to give something up? Is he asking you to add something? Is he asking you to talk to someone? Whatever it is, align your body with whatever God is doing in your heart right now. And I just want to pray for you. God, I thank you for every single person in this room. 
God, all these beautiful people, God, that you have created to be in relationship with, that you have specific guidance and instruction for because you know what's best for us. And God, for the people here who are, are wanting to hear from you, I pray you would meet them right now, God. Would you meet them in a powerful way? Would you allow them to experience your power this morning as they stand here, God? Would you give us the courage to be a people that hears your words and responds because we, you are, we believe that you are a God who acts in power? God, I pray this with confidence because we know that this is your will. God, you desire for us to be people who hear your voice and practice what you've shown us. So we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Real Life Spokane podcast. We want to encourage you and help point you closer to Jesus. So be sure to visit our website or to reach out on that phone number. We love you, Real Life. See you next time.